This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is In Reverence episode number 8. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. If this is your first In Reverence episode, so you're a new listener and you haven't found one of these yet while trundling through the back catalogue of Teapot's content, then let me give you a bit of info as to what we do on this particular subset of the podcast Under the Stairs. In Reverence is a bit of a vanity project. It charts my love of horror through specific movies I saw at certain times, both in the past and more recent as well, and catalogues why it is that these particular movies stood out to me and where they shaped my love of horror cinema. We've already in the past covered some of the pivotal movies at particular points in my life and also done some of the more modern ones as well. We've covered some Asian horror, we've covered some art house horror, we've covered some Italian horror and now we're going to swing our attention right back to 1999. Back in 1999 I started a part-time job working at a video store. Um, I was doing it to part fund my way through college but I used it as an excuse to mostly binge movies. It's where a lot of my cinema knowledge comes from at the time, I had pretty bad insomnia, still do, but not as bad as I did back then. And working in a video store afforded me the opportunity to take maybe four or five movies home a night and watch, and then bring them back in the following day. I managed to watch a ton of movies back then, but I also got an opportunity to pick off some new releases before they were coming out, as well as some titles which had just come out. And it's back in the days of VHS, the kind of VHS boom was starting to subside. DVDs were becoming the the format of choice. We were still in a position where in the UK you had maybe a shop floor made up of about 75% VHS, 25% DVD. Which seems weird now considering, you know, the VHS format is all but redundant and DVD is a format which is pretty much going the same way in favour of Blu-ray. But it allowed me to pick up some interest in movies back at the time. Which swings us to the movie that we're going to discuss tonight. Because I had caught the previous year a little movie called The Blair Witch Project um, at a cinema. It kind of blew me away. I, I mean, the story behind my viewing of The Blair Witch Project is now pretty famous on Podcasts Under the Stairs. It was a movie that I saw in the cinema with a group of friends and got really bad motion sickness and passed out while watching. And then I couldn't wait to see it again, to see the, the full event, because I'd missed a, a good 10-15 minutes in the middle of the movie. It's a movie that I still think is an incredible bit of work. I know more modern day reaction to it is that it's heavily overrated and there's a lot of revisionist history by certain people, not everyone, certain people didn't like it when it came out but 
at the time it was universally seen as you know a kind of thrill ride a terrifying experience an exercise in pure horror cinema um, it was made for very little and you didn't see really anything in it at all but what it did do was demonstrate a, a, a kind of construction of terror which really worked on a lot of audience members including myself and I still to this day really hold that movie up as a great example of how to create horror with nothing. I mean that movie had nothing there at all to really create anything from but continued to do it anyway. That's not the movie I'm going to discuss though on this episode of In Reverence. Instead I'm going to discuss a movie that predates it by a, about six months. A movie that, unlike the Blair Witch Project, didn't have a mass marketing viral campaign behind it that tapped into the kind of burgeoning technologies of the internet to, to get people really invested in the story. Didn't have that at all. In fact, when the Blair Witch Project came out on VHS in the video store I worked in, we had a wall with about 100 copies on VHS for people to rent. The movie we're going to discuss came out the same week and had one copy on VHS. The fact that it said on its front cover that it predated and probably inspired the Blair Witch Project really caught my attention. By this point I was all very much aware of things like Cannibal Holocaust and the idea of the original examples of found footage cinema, but this one had a cover that really kind of freaked me out. It was like a warped, digital, distorted, screaming man face on it and it was simply called The Last Broadcast. That's the movie we're going to discuss on In Reverence episode number 8. But before we jump into discussing that movie after our first break, as always some housekeeping notes. This is a two episode week ladies and gents, this is your first episode, Monday's episode In Reverence, there will be a bonus episode on Thursday, so just giving you a little heads up. Thank you very much for making June a phenomenal month under the stairs. We charted just over 2,000 downloads more than we did in the period of June 2017. So we're 2,000 downloads up. That is fucking nuts. And thanks for all the feedback and the general badassery over on the Facebook group page. In the absence of the bars, you guys have been pretty amazing uh, in the last month just continuing that page going with fun and quirky content it's always great to log on and see what people are watching see what people are up to and joining them with the many many bants uh, that are happening over there okay are you ready ladies and gents this episode is an irreverence episode they're never long and it's mostly like i say a, a vain exercise in me telling you why certain movies make me love the genre as much as I do and give me the passion to continue talking about it. So we're going to take our first break of the show. You are going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for the last broadcast. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about the movie and uh, the impact it had on me. All that and more coming right up right after this. My life fades, the vision dims, all that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, wasted land, but most of all, I remember the podcasts, the man we called Witch. To understand who he was, 
you have to go back to another time. A time when the doomsday clock ticked ever closer to Armageddon. You can still find The Witch versus The Doomsday Clock Podcast by searching for WYCH on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Memories may decline, but movies live forever. I'd come to this project with many of the same assumptions that you had concerning the Jersey Devil murders and the guilt of Jim Seward. His characterization is a troubled young man responsible for a spree of horrific ritualistic homicides. What really happened that night? And is Jim Seward truly responsible? Most people, when they commit a crime, aren't being videotaped like you know, when they're doing it, or like near the time when they're doing it. It was like spying in on, on this crime about to happen. No one else had the opportunity to commit those murders except for Mr. Jim Seward. I feel weird about it. Yeah, you know, no, me I too. Do. This whole idea to come out into the woods and stuff. You know, suddenly they want to jump into doing, you know, big time live, you know, from the Pine Barrens and have radio and internet and this and that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a fiasco. I, I, I didn't really think it was going to end up like it did, but I knew it wasn't going to look pretty. The attacker was using both hands with two weapons and was ambidextrous. Two separate instruments were driven into the victims at the same time. I think to anybody, if you found 47 pieces of a, of a human being or human beings, it would be very disturbing. The whole thing reeks of a setup. More, more went down than, than we know. Jim's an innocent man, and this was not investigated in any way shape or form the one thing about this with uh you know this guy jim uh you know the case they built up against him it was all circumstance we didn't have any actual evidence that he did this but uh i mean he was the only one there also if he's an innocent man there's a killer on the loose as they said on factor fiction you decide Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for this feature movie review of In Reverence episode number 8. The movie we're looking at is the last broadcast from 1998. Um, I saw this, it would have been early 2000 um, when it was released as a VHS in the UK. And this was, as soon as it came in, I was like, I need to watch this fucking movie. Um, mostly because, like I said, the cover artwork looked kind of creepy. Um, there are two different cover artworks. One kind of gives away the ending of the movie, so I'm quite glad they didn't do that. Um, and the other one which I saw was the one where it's like the built face of the reveal of the, the killer in the movie in the top corner, the kind of digital not seen face sort of thing. Um, and like I say, it, it had taglines like, you know, uh, 
predates the Blair Witch or this movie influenced the Blair Witch. Now, truth be told, using a bit of what we have now in terms of historical context, it looks like it, you know the Blair Witch Project did not rip this movie off. Uh, certainly, Eduardo Sanchez and crew have stated that the Blair Witch Project was was in development um, for a good three, four years before it actually was made and then subsequently was released. So the last broadcast didn't have a development time of that much. However, it did have a budget of very, very little. Purportedly at the time, I think the budget was around about $1,000, which is fucking mental and it's made its money many, many times over. Obviously not as much as the Blue Witch Project, which is seen as maybe being one of the most financially successful films of all time. I think it was only recently bypassed by something like Paranormal Activity once again within the found footage genre. Um, and certainly both these movies can be seen as the, the forefathers of the more modern interpretation of, of found footage. Um, when you're looking at movies like Paranormal Activity and beyond, it's difficult to say that those movies were not directly influenced by Blair Witch Project and The Last Broadcast. That being said, the, the Last Broadcast is the one that tends to be forgotten about, or tends to be the one that people haven't seen uh, in favour of Blair Witch, which really did become like this absolute behemoth juggernaut of horror cinema uh, when it was released to the point that it, really no one no one um, was talking about the last broadcast at all. And it's weird, it was a movie that I saw back in 2000, like I say, early 2000 when it was released, and I kind of loved it, but didn't love the ending. I thought the ending kind of destroyed it for me. And then a couple of years later, I had recurring dreams about the movie. Like, out of nowhere, for some reason, my brain just kept replaying segments, the same segments of the movie over and over again and I then tracked in the movie, repurchased it, watched it again and I actually kind of loved the ending. I, I thought the ending, if anything, had done a complete 180 on it. Um, I thought the ending really worked, really kind of made the movie for me and it's, this seems to be the bit that destroys the movie or, you know, raises the movie for audience and fan members of the, you know, of the experience, you will either watch it and say, well, you know, it was great, and then that ending, oh man, that, you know, that ending really worked, or you'll get to the end of it and say, I was loving it up until that ending, and then it shit the bed. And it's weird how I changed on that, and I don't know if my dreams that I was having that week, which forced me to buy it again, were really my brain kind of saying, actually, you know, subconscious brains going, well, really, I think that now we are in a position where we will like this, so go forth, consume, and rewatch. Or if it was the case that I just wasn't in the right frame of mind the first time I watched it. Or if it's just, you know, my taste had changed that much that, I, you know, I, I could watch it and, and see what they were doing, see where they were going with it, and go with it. Because that's part of the journey of the movie, is what it really does at the beginning is sets itself out as this kind of full documentary, you know, movie. It's really less the Blair Witchy thing and more of a this is a crime documentary. Um, and then the, the end of the movie, we really break the kind of the fourth wall um, and, and move into the 
you know, quote unquote real world of what's actually happening and we move out with the documentary and we become a visual spectator of the movie watching the characters interact in a way which is not the documentary and some people can go with that break of the the kind of fourth wall and others can't and I certainly can now but like I say certainly at the time I could not I didn't I didn't quite understand and I, I kind of felt that it ruined quite a lot of what I've seen so let's give you some information on the movie. Um, it was directed by Stefan Avalos and Lance Wheeler. It was written by Stefan Avalos and Lance Wheeler. The movie stars David Beard as David Lee, the filmmaker. Jim Seward as Jim Seward, the accused. Stefan Avalos as Stephen Adcast, uh, who is one of the fact or fiction hosts. Uh, Lance Wheeler, or Locus Wheeler, uh, as he's known in the movie, who is the second fact or fiction host. Ryan Clabbers, who plays Ryan Clacken, the paranormal soundman. And then there are a series of other characters who make kind of small appearances in here uh, as characters in or around surrounding the, the mystery, so to speak. So, a uh, synopsis for this one, as listed on IMDb, is A film crew ventures into the forest in search of a mythical Jersey devil. Now what we'll do is, I'll kind of talk you through the plot of the movie first, and as always, please be warned, we are spoiling the shit out of this movie, and then I'll kind of talk about why it has made the irreverent show. Why this one has, and we are still to cover something like the Blair Witch Project. So, the story centres around this um, this show, Fact or Fiction, where the two hosts uh, were doing this kind of crazy show on kind of public cable, where you could basically rent a bit of space and do a bit of, bit of your own content. Uh, I can't think of it ever being something that happened in the UK, I think it's a wholly American sort of thing, but... What they did anyway was they did this show where they kind of goofily went around um, trying to debunk or prove uh, paranormal, scientific or just weird kind of stories that were out there in the local communities. They decide because they are getting pretty poor ratings uh, and look like they're about to go off air, be cancelled altogether, to do something a bit more techy and link it up to the internet. Uh, using IRC, they put out this option for people to suggest what their next show will be and in a scene which still actually sends shivers down my spine, they get this um, voice activated IRC which comes in in the creepiest tone ever and says, Why don't you do a show about the Jersey Devil? Um, and if I had heard that I'd be like, how about no? <laughs> how about I don't do a show? How about instead I go somewhere else and do something else because that sounds terrifying. Give me a second while I change my soiled underwear. Uh, instead they decide to do it but they decide to expand out and build like this ultimate team of badassery. Uh, that will include um, Ryan uh, Wheeler, who is, sorry Ryan Clacken who is their sound guy. He's a bit of a goof and they managed to track down this guy called Jim Seward. Uh, who is a kind of paranormal magician of sorts and their team rims out and they make their way into the woods and at some point during the night 
Jim Seward is the only one that manages to get out the woods, phones the police and says, I've lost my friends. We then find out that it looks like all three of them have been murdered, although they only find the bodies of two. Uh, Stephen Agcast's body is never found, except there's a lot of blood. It's presumed dead. And the police arrest Jim Seward and lock him away. David Lee, the filmmaker, sets out kind of looking at this investigation from a more sceptical point of view, as in he thinks that there's enough evidence here to cast doubt on Jim Seward's guilt. Takes you through the entire case, from interviewing people that were involved, behind the scenes of the project, people that knew the accused and other people involved in the project, and then starts to turn his attention to, could Jim Seward have done this? Would he be able to do this? About halfway through the movie, uh, things take a different turn where David Lee receives a box full of shredded videotape, takes it to a, a specialist, uh, a Michelle Monarch, I think is the name of the character. She's played by Michelle Pulaski. And she starts to put together all the, the kind of shredded tape. It's this huge project. And we actually find that this shredded tape is the, the final tape, the missing tape, the very last broadcast of, of these people. And as she uh, puts it back together, uh, David Lee decides to go out and reenact what happened. And we get this fantastic scene of him out in the woods uh, filming himself and kind of moving the camera around in a circle and we hear these creaks and crumbles and noises which, you know, uh, David starts to look around in this kind of weird, suspicious sort of way. And then we find that uh, Michelle has pieced together some vital information. Uh, David Lee appears um, and this is the kind of ending of the movie where you will either jump with it or you will not jump with it. Um, whilst this is all happening, in the corner of the screen as David Lee is pulling up to go and speak to Michelle, the last piece of the puzzle is drawn together, which is this reconstruction of the killer's face, and it is revealed to be David Lee himself as the killer. Uh, the camera then jumps position, so we then are no longer through the perspective of David Lee's camera, and we jump out to this kind of, it's, it's no longer first person, it's third person view. And we're seeing this as a film, we're spectating the actual events of what is going on now. Um, David Lee attacks Michelle uh, and, and puts plastic, kind of plastic lining over her face, uh, thus kind of strangling her. But she's not quite dead, uh, continues to do it until she dies. He drives her out into the middle of the pine barrens, leaves her body. And then we see that the recording we saw earlier on of him talking about uh, Jim not having the ability to commit this crime and the creaks and sounds of the the actual kind of pl plastic wrap that he's used to wrap the body is is um, Michelle on the, on the ground at his feet, and that is how we finish the movie. Uh, so David Lee basically is a killer who killed um, all these people, uh, set up Jim Seward to go away to prison and then somehow couldn't live with the fact, maybe, that he wouldn't be credited for it so he makes a fake documentary and the documentary that we're seeing is one that he professes his guilt on 
ultimately, but kills everyone that knows. Uh, it's like almost that famous kind of Patrick Bateman line of this confession has meant nothing. I think this movie's fucking great. I, I really, really, really do. I think it's unfairly maligned because of the ending. Yes, it it, it really goes for it. it. You know, it breaks the fourth wall. It jumps out with... Um, but I think it works. I really, really do. I, I didn't at first. I thought kind of undermined it because I'm like that. Oh, we're right. This is goofy. It's silly. We're no longer watching a documentary. We're watching a film. But I think that's a clever trick of this movie is the movie tricks you for most of it into thinking it is a documentary when it's not. It's a, a film all along. And by jumping out into that, it's almost reminding you. It's kind of the inverse of what we get in Cannibal Holocaust. So Cannibal Holocaust is, you know, the the, the film filmic events of, you know, this character who finds footage, who then sees the atrocities that were carried out. We are doing it in reverse. We are, you know, seeing the filmic qualities of what has happened and then jumping out into the actual movie itself at the end, kind of removing ourselves from the situation altogether. I think the acting's really good in this. I think all the characters, all the character actors are kind of awesome. I think there's an awkwardness of, of Jim Seward as a character that really works for me. There's a couple of scenes of him performing his weird magic um, and his psychic fits that that really work, that stand out for me, that, that kind of make me believe that he is this awkward guy who's maybe unfairly maligned into this position of, well, yeah, he's, he's weird and he's goofy and he's the outsider and he's the only one that survived. Ergo, he must be the killer, even though the facts, evidence and... Um, you know, everything points towards him being innocent. There's not enough blood on his person to denote someone that has butchered up these people. Uh, you know, there's clear evidence here that proves that he could not have killed everyone and made it back to his internet chat, his IRC chat, that he was carrying out during it, uh, the actual live events of the death in the Pine Barns. You know, it's, it's clear that he couldn't have done that and the prosecution themselves set out to make a case very much indicting him on kind of very loose evidence. There isn't a lot to prove that this guy out with he's the only one that survived um, to actually say that he's the guy. So I kind of find that quite interesting as well. It's, you know, it's kind of interesting now that we live in a world where TV shows like Making a Murderer or The Staircase are now these huge hits on Netflix, which are basically shows that say, look how corrupt the system is that it can try indict and lock you away on very little evidence and I see the last broadcast as a movie precursor to all of that. It, you know, it, it's done in a format which is hugely similar to these TV shows and it did it, what, 20 years before? Which is kind of incredible. I mean, the last broadcast is 20 years old this year. Um, 18 years since I saw it which is fucking nuts um, but I think it really is super ahead of its time I mean you can see Blair Witch Project definitely is ahead of its time in that it takes what maybe 10 years for people to start doing like in fact more than 10 years for people to start kind of bringing out the paranormal activity idea of, of making movies and really making this huge industry of film footage cinema but I think the last broadcast 
preempts TV, televised series, documentaries into, you know, injustices in, in the criminal system. And it's, I think it's a very, very, very clever movie. I think it's a, a hugely clever movie. When I saw it, I was like, I, I got absorbed by the story wholly. And it wasn't until much later on when I revisited it and, you know, decided that I liked the ending to the movie that I started to appreciate a lot of what the movie does. Um, the movie shows you nothing. There is nothing in this movie. There is no villain. There is nothing. There is a couple of reactions from certain characters, a couple of squelching noises and a lot of photos. Um, but you see nothing in the movie and the tension and atmosphere that it derives and creates throughout the movie through not seeing anything I think is borderline genius is the epitome of how to work with a shoestring budget and deliver something which feels authentic. I think this, the, the, kind of, the soundscapes in this movie are kind of amazing. There is an ominous kind of droning sound that kind of works its way throughout this entire movie in the background. There's almost very little scenes at all of any where there is no sound. Um, and I think that adds to it as well. It's very, very cleverly designed. Um, I just think it's a kind of unsettling watch. When we did this movie for Baz v Halloween a few years ago, this was one that I thought, I'm not going to get Baz on this one. This is going to be one of these ones where I'm going to put it out there. Wear my heart on my sleeve and Baz is going to come back and shit in my face tell me it was rubbish and he came back and this movie got to him and that's where I thought, you know, on a basic level this movie works, it ticks the boxes, it, you know, it, it, it works with nothing and really generates a lot. If you do not like the ending, I will not be able to convince you to watch this movie. It's impossible, you know, I'm, I, like I will not be able to swing this round for you. But if you can roll with the movie, if you can follow the journey and you can take that step, you can work with that final step and allow yourself to be engrossed in the viewing experience and see this as an entity of film as opposed to a documentary that then changes beats at the end. If you can go with the flow, if you can carry through with it, I think the last broadcast is top tier film footage that no one talks about. There's not enough people talking about this movie. The people involved with it have really went off and done like various bits and bobs uh, and producing films, but nothing on this level, nothing that garners the attention of this level, and that's a bit of a shame. But I think they created something wonderful out of nothing, really out of nothing, out of a small idea and a shoestring budget, and deliver a movie which stands the test of time for me. It's one that I watch almost every year now, and when I sit down and watch it, I I just kind of love it. I think it's weird and creepy, and there's there's something about the deepness of David Lee's voice as he talks through the movie um, that creeps me out as well. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's a great fucking movie. I think it's one that's worth a revisit if you haven't watched it in a while. If you've never watched it before and you fancy seeing what, like, a precursor to a lot of your movies that you love in the film footage genre actually started at, then the last broadcast is a great example. Um, is it a completely flawless movie? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Is it trying something and really swinging for the fences? Yeah, this movie tries 
things which I don't think have been tried since. Um, and when they are, they're not done as good as the last broadcast. So there we go. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my review of the last broadcast. Nice and short, sharp. It's a nice short, sharp movie. Get yourself a copy. Very difficult to get your hands on now. I think it used to circulate on YouTube, but I don't know if it's still out there. But um, I'm still hoping, now that we live in a world where Poughkeepsie managed to finally find its way onto a, a Blu-ray format and bring that to a wider audience, I am now very hopeful that the last broadcast goes the same way and someone puts out. I think it's worth re-examining. I really, really, really do. Um, and I think there's a whole new audience out there of people that can watch it. It's got this like minor cult status and I would like to see that grow and grow as time goes on. So there we go. That's my review of the last broadcast. We are going to take a very short break. When I come back, I'm closing out the show and I'm doing it right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This was In Reverence episode number 8, looking at 1998's The Last Broadcast. Hopefully you guys will go and check out that movie. Feedback and let me know. As always, this is just my opinions on In Reverence. These are the movies that really affected me. Um, but I'm always looking forward to hearing your opinions back. Uh, have you checked this movie out before? Have you seen it recently? What do you think of it? Um, is it one that's a, a fave? Is it not a fave? Are you someone that can get behind the ending? Or are you someone that the ending does not work for? Let us know on the Facebook group page. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. The podcast under the stairs will return on Thursday with a special bonus episode. But until then, there is a multitude of ways for you to check out the podcast under the stairs. Come across to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed. That way you get access to the episodes as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapot's content. When you are there, leave us a rating and a review. The ratings, super important. Five stars, for example. The more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts will push for people to come across and find what we do. Also, leave us that review. It's super important. It's your words to new listeners' eyes, telling them why you love the show and why they might love it to take seconds to do. It doesn't cost you anything, means the world to us. Also, word of mouth, super important. Let your friends know, let your family know, let your loved ones know, let your enemies know. Let your local postman know. Posties walk around delivering mail all day and most of them listen to something. Their headphones are in, they're listening to some banging music. A lot of them listen to podcasts. Next time you, they chap your door and you take receipt of a parcel, ask them what they're listening to and recommend the podcast under the stairs. That will be your public service for today. You can also check us out at Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play and the TuneIn app. That is right, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Oh, we love, we love that Stitcher Smart Radio. You can come across to our website, tputzcast.com, visit our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. You can interact with the Baz and the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter, both can be followed at tputzcast. Right, ladies and gents, I am out of here. I hope this being the start of your week, the rest of it goes in at a hell of a velocity and you have an absolute week of badassery. And wherever you are, whatever you're up to, and whatever the time zone is in this big bad world, 
of ours. Please take care of yourselves and each other. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I'm signing off. <laughs>